we would have had the same types of friends just being like, you know, hey, like, can you explain to me what an ETF is? Do you have a do you have a line of credit? Like, what's the interest rate? They have all these questions and, and then and they just bury them in like a corner of shame. Everybody thinks that everybody else knows stuff and it's just not true. There's a client of, of mine who between the two of them had saved $150,000 for a down payment in Toronto. So they had done all the right things. And then just being like, we were so embarrassed to ever talk to anyone because we thought we were doing everything wrong. Everybody else in the area is is clearly doing things right. They're buying houses. We we can't afford one. And I was like, holy shit, like you guys have done everything right. And the fact that you're getting outbid on a eight or nine hundred thousand dollar place, like that's that's Toronto. And but nobody took the time to kind of say like that's not normal. This is the Personal Finance Show. Hi, I'm Bo Humphreys, and this is the Personal Finance Show. Daryl Brown wants you to stop complaining about bad financial advice and do something about it. If you walk into a bank, give them money, don't ask questions, and do zero research on investing, then you've pretty much given up your right to complain if you're not happy with the results. Instead of complaining about things, let's be proactive. This is your money. It's important. You work hard for it, so why not spend a bit of time on it? Yes, I've said this a lot. I know it's hard to do the work yourself. It takes time and a personal interest in investing. So it might make more sense for you to pay someone a fee to help you figure it all out. And this is where a lot of people get confused. They think that walking into a bank or going to a company that sells financial products is the best way to invest their money in a way that achieves their financial goals. They don't charge upfront fees, so that sounds great to most people. But as I've said many times, if a financial services company doesn't have the product that is best for your goals, they're not going to tell you to go somewhere else. They're never going to make money if they send business away. If you walk into a Mazda dealer and you start talking about how much Ford means to you and you love Ford products and it becomes really obvious to them that you're going to have a significantly better life if you buy a Ford, they will never say, I don't think a Mazda is the right car for you. As a salesperson, that's possibly the worst thing you can do for your career. They'll instead try their best to change your mind and fit your desires into their available range of products. Dale Brown started his company, You and Yours Financial, so that he could provide truly unbiased advice. He's not interested at all in forcing you into a box so that you fit the financial product he sells. He doesn't sell financial products at all. A quick glance at Daryl's Twitter feed and you can see that he has no patience for the financial BS that's out there. Daryl's only interested in providing you with a completely unbiased opinion and an investment solution that is truly right for you. Daryl joined me in the studio in Hamilton to share his personal finance story.
easily earliest money memory is just the recollection that my parents kept on saying over and over again that it was a recession. There's a recession going on. You can't get that. We can't do this. There was a recession. So they just kept like they're telling you how old are you? Old are you? I'm eight ish. Seven, seven, seven or eight. And beyond There's a recession. Yeah. Yeah. Beyond like, you know, kind of basic money things. The real part when I kind of understood, like, started to kind of understand that money was a little bit more complex and more of a more of a thing was when I was like, oh, there's 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 a recession going on. We can't spend money. Like, I can't, you know, I can't roll up with like a list of twenty things I want from consumers distributing like for Christmas. <laughs> consumers, yeah. I haven't heard that reference in so long. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I pulled it up. I think I I think I tweeted once, uh, like a, a few months ago, about the fact that like. Um, I, I, I think I made the argument that like inflation isn't that in, inflation is a little bit weirdly calculated just because you you would see like video games or whatever in there and they're like, they're like $80 right sure. back then inflation adjusted. They should be like 300 or 250 right? yeah. by now. And they're actually still like relatively affordable. Well, some things like are impacted and some things aren't right. Yeah. Yep. Is that how it goes? For sure. Yeah. I think some of the things that have been able to be sourced like elsewhere in the world and, uh, I think we're tying. I think this all kind of came into play with like the inverted yield curve talk, and just with with interest rates being connected to inflation. I think I was just, you know, making the consideration that you know there's some prices for that are that are probably flat, if not falling, over time, and maybe they're increasing. But then they figure out uh, more efficient ways of making. Totally, them. yeah. That, that's that kind yep. of like, and it evens itself out. You can't. Well, maybe you can find a more efficient way to like make milk or or bread or, yeah, or other yeah. staples. But mostly they're going to just go up with inflation. Yeah, and I, and I think it's the story of I, I've been really consumed the last number of years with uh, with technology and the impact that it has on on an economy and like productive goods and prices. And I think it's a story that doesn't really get told that that often. That you know I think a lot of people blame um, economic woes or 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 you know industry that like the kind of decline of industry the decline of labor they blame it on free trade agreements they blame it on the fact that you know like nafta was around and that we can source stuff from all over the world globalization yes, totally yeah. which is fair that's that's legit um and i don't think the part gets told about you know how much technology you know impacts both the price of goods you know we can produce things the same amount of goods or more with less labor involved and and for cheaper and uh, I don't think that story gets told, and I don't think the story gets told of how much, just how much that displaces labor. Um, and I think that is that is starting to come out a little bit, but it's it's weird to to sort of see kind of constantly the a lot of angst against free trade agreements and, and trade in general. When I think technology is a, is a is a big component of it, but really difficult to understand, I think, and, and pinpoint. So, so so we got here from uh, consumers distributing, yeah, inflating <laughs> inflating yeah, the cost of early of video games when you were say eight years old. Yeah, uh, but and and we should explain that. Um, it was like you go there. There's nothing there. It's not a store. You just no, go look in the catalog. Desk. Yeah, a desk with the catalog. Yeah, like kind of like if you were looking the Sears catalog or whatever. But there's just all this like usually electronics and games and stuff. Yeah. And then it, then they would ship it there. Yeah, I don't even know if people know this thing. <laughs> it's not a thing anymore. Well, I think. I think you and I. I think we're what are we? Zennials? Like we're uh, like, like thirty-five X, to forty. Xennials. Xennials. Yeah, whatever it's exactly. Called. Yeah. So, so maybe I like your your abbreviated. Like you made it a word. A Xennial. I like, heard like Xavier. I'm trying. I'm trying to be <laughs> trying to be cool. No, I like. No, I like it because uh, maybe that is how we should say it. I say Xennial because it's a combo of Generation yeah. X and Millennial. Yeah. So that's like kind of like lets people know like oh what are you talking about. 
Well, yeah, I'm right on the cusp. Yeah. Right? What, are you, what year are you born? 80. 80. Okay. So you're, you're literally right on the cusp. And I'm 82. 82. And I've seen yeah. some definitions that cut off at 80, some at 82. You're actually closer. You're, you're probably part of some of the definitions. I'm uh, uh, like one of the fringe definitions. People yeah, will, yeah. will give me millennial. They'll be like, yeah, you're a millennial. Yeah, yeah. Look at your long hair. And <laughs> you don't use your phone to talk to people. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little bit weird trying to figure out the sort of stereotypes between generations. And, and, and I know Lisa. Said, said all along that like millennials need to be split into two it's like yeah. it's oh, just things sure. change so fast how, well like what's the span is it 20 years it's uh, supposed to be about 20 years for each one how could somebody like 20 years younger than you like have the yeah. same like maybe like, yeah sure if you started you were starting of the internet age i guess yep. right that's the yeah. idea also we remember all of the Gen X stuff, right? Yeah, like yeah. Nintendo came out, and that's yeah, amazing. <laughs> it's an amazing perspective to have. Born like, before Apple Macintosh was uh, created, yeah. even right. Yeah, like if Apple's, you wanted to, yeah, yeah. If you wanted to uh, to to listen to a song, uh, and and you, and you didn't pony up eighteen dollars for the CD, you had to hang out on Napster on dial up. Hope that nobody picked up the phone, and then <laughs> like maybe overnight you'd get it in the morning or something like that. But like, yeah, it's a, the, it's a it's an amazing perspective to have the the sort of like kind of pre digital everything being comfortable with it. I think at this point, compared to a lot of folks who are you know may not know um, grown up with CDs or or radio or 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 whatever it is, listen to having to wait to on the radio station to listen to a song that you that you want to hear or, or wait and listen to it uh, to hear it on uh, on the TV or whatever. It's yeah, it's 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 so different. So we go, let's go back to to eight year old Daryl, <laughs> who has been being told about the recession. And did, did that mean anything to you? Like, did you did it change your behavior? Like, you don't get enough uh, any more allowance, or like how how did that impact I, you? Well, I think it was just a it was a perspective I didn't hear anywhere else, and so I was like, well, well, what's going on here? And, and it kind of made me a little bit aware of the fact that my parents may not have had not have embraced consumerism. Um, compared to a lot of other okay. people around, they're they're Jamaican immigrants, okay. and where they grew up, how they grew up, their perspective, it, it, they're just like you know, it, it's not stuff that we do. We 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 just save, and they kind of put away money. So saving was the big thing for them. Saving was a big thing because it was always a recession. There was always a, a rainy day coming. You just didn't know <laughs> when, um, and yeah. so that really framed a lot of my upbringing. I mean, like they were they were solely middle class. My dad uh, sold uh, medical equipment to hospitals and universities, and my mom worked at uh, Grand. River Hospital as a dietary supervisor before the, okay. the layoffs and the cuts in, in the early 90s. Oh, okay. So there was an impact when it came to the economy. There was an awareness that, you know, you should definitely kind of save for a rainy day. And, um, you know, I carry a, a, a bit of that with me uh, with me right now. Yeah. It's better than like, let's spend all of our money because we're going to always be good at making money forever, Yeah, which is really what most Canadians have in their head, <laughs> running yeah. in their head. Like, why do I need to save? I can earn money, my money back next week. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, you might not be able to though. Yeah, and and the saving mentality is is really what allowed both Lisa and I to to leave our corporate jobs. This is later on, and, I, and mm. I'll get back to it. We can it, we can jump ahead and well, then jump back. It's, right. it, the tangents are fine. Totally, it's, it it allowed <laughs> us to leave our jobs. Basically, we at the time saved up enough money that we were like, okay, we can pay our bills and figure out things for a couple of years max so um, temporary financial independence temporarily i'll get back to that too <laughs> okay, because yeah. I, I, had a, I had an interview with rob carrick at the globe who i, I think is, is is awesome i think yeah, he, Rob's he, does great. Really, he does a really great job at covering um, a really challenging industry and uh, we talked about fire um he he asked me he's like hey let's let's have a conversation about financially <laughs> independent retire early which is this you yeah. know thing in case people don't know and fire, yeah. for me I, I kind of thought you know it's not really it's not really about being 
independent for forever and retiring early for yeah. forever. So yeah, let's jump into fire later. Also, I yeah. uh, just heard David Bach. He wants it to be fight, financially independent, transition early. So yeah, that's we can discuss one. that one too. Yeah, that's a very good one. So you're saving. Your parents are saving. You're getting this by osmosis. Yeah. <laughs> but when do you actually get money of your own? When does that happen? Maybe I got a bit of an allowance, but I definitely had a job with the Guelph Tribune um, okay. delivering papers. Yeah, yeah. 12, 13-ish. And your parents um, w- would have insisted that you save that money? Yeah, I think they were, kind of, I think they were sort of like, you can do what you want with okay. it, but okay. you should probably save it. Like They're like, <laughs> you can go buy that, but you won't have any money. And you, they kind of guilt you into it and <laughs> yeah, make you feel okay. a little bit Yeah, okay. So that insecure. was always their behavior. Like, okay, if you want, like, you know, smoke yeah. the whole pack of cigarettes. You yeah. Know, go ahead. Yeah. Go buy, <laughs> go buy like, you know, 200 uh, like penny candies. Go buy <laughs> like 10 packs of baseball cards. Go, go get the upper deck pack. Go get the more expensive stuff. <laughs> yeah. Go do that. And they would be like, you can do that if you want to. But they, they left me with a lot of discretion, a lot of choice and Okay. And trying to figure that out. My mom got laid off in, in the early 90s mm-hmm. and then eventually started working part-time with Primerica. And it is kind of around now, Not, I, I think, and maybe not nearly as big as it was in its heyday. I think heyday. there's one on, on Main Street okay. here. So it's uh, still, or one of them, like they're selling investments. Their big thing is mutual fund sales. Yes. The big tag is like buy term investing in the, the, the difference. They're, um, they're, they're, they're the mutual fund driver and they were at the time for Citigroup, um, big, okay. a big channel. Okay, okay. For it, and uh, that was my first connect to financial services as a as a career, or yeah. understanding you know what it meant to be you know dependent on your on your work or your job to pay your bills. And their whole thing was like, oh, gain financial independence. I think their mentality was financial independence was like you are your own economic engine. You you control your own business basically yeah. because the where you wanted to be or where they push you to be as as a as, as someone who did well in Primarica was you know you kind of managed a team of a number of different people below yeah, okay. you and you'd collect residuals on top of them so you would you're effectively collecting passive income like it's a multi-level marketing sort of you know i always try to explain multi-level marketing doesn't immediately mean some kind of scheme it's just a, <laughs> no, a, a no. method right and yep. a lot of people a lot of companies are structured this way where you recruit people and then they recruit other people and you get a percentage yeah right Is yep. that, so that's your mom got in there early she got in there early and um i uh and, and did it part-time not you know there are people who did full-time and yeah, kind yeah. of you know went to the moon and and back with with it and um it got me involved in it um, i did my mutual funds license i thought it was gonna you know, become a Primerica. How um, early? How early is this? Was 18 or okay, so. Okay, just because your, your mom 19. was uh, there, you're like, I can She was there. I'll I was, do this. I was interested in it. I saw it as a path to, you know, not working as hard as they did, frankly. Sure. <laughs> like, yeah. Hey, yeah, why not? Yeah, right? so, you know, I gave that a go and, and I switched. I thought I was going to, I was, I played a lot of sports when I was growing up. I was lots of competitive soccer and I, I thought I was going to do kinesiology and then I was like, oh, let's do this business thing because everybody seems to make a lot of money and they don't seem to stress out about money as much as we do. So uh, I uh, eventually got into, I think I applied to four programs, got into Western and I got into Mac and, you know, Mac was close and it was, you know, really good program, I thought. I didn't think a whole lot of Hamilton back then. I think it's an amazing city now um, yeah, after having been cool here. it's pretty cool now. I can go on an entire Hamilton tension <laughs> as well, too. Um, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll table that. Uh, we'll have another Hamilton uh, fest. Ham- Hamilton love fest, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do that. So you, you, how did you pay for school? So school for, for me was basically tuition was me. Primarily, okay. and my parents after they covered everything. I think 
Actually, I remember it. The, the first year, I think they had everything more or less covered. They're like, you got in, you got your first year, that's fine. The second year, they were kind of like, there was, there was a bit of a trade-off. They were like, we're a little bit you know, concerned about you, you know, getting, um, getting housing in the area. And my dad, who, you know, kind of grew up, went to university in the 60s and was, was worried about housing discrimination, like incredibly worried about it. Really? Yeah. Can uh, you explain that? I think he had in his mind that, you know, based on his experience, it was possible for lack of, you know, enforceable laws or whatever that, that you could show at a place and be like, hey, I want to rent here. And someone would be like, well, look at you and kind of be like, oh, do listeners know I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a black dude, by the way? I guess yeah. we'll have it on the... <laughs> your, your photo will be, will be plastered on the episode. Fantastic. So people okay. will know. But I mean that people don't necessarily look at the cover. So okay. yeah, I yeah. mean, it's fair to there you explain go. that. There you go. Right? <laughs> I am. Yeah. There you go. Um, so they were. They, I think they were. They were genuinely worried about that, and they're like, "Well, we don't want to be. This. This is the thing we're concerned about. Let's talk about it." Yeah. Um, we ended up in a place where they thought it was. They presented the idea. They're like, "We can figure out a way to buy a house in the area." And the trade-off is this: that if if we can figure out a way to put money down for it, you can manage it and you can live there rent-free, hmm. effectively. Tuition is still you. You figure out your tuition, you figure out books, you figure out all of your other living expenses and whatnot. So at the time in Hamilton in Westdale, so yeah. just around the corner from here, houses were 185-ish thousand. Okay, that sounds pretty good. With five or six bedrooms. Yeah. And they would shoot out like like 2400 in cash. So having done a first year of business, I was able to model it and figure it out. Like this is something that could be sustainable okay, yeah, work. Yeah, of course. So it was a bit of a mix. I was there. I lived rent-free in exchange for managing the property. Yeah. Effectively. So then you were able to fill, what, five others or Able to fill others? another five rooms wow. consistently for the extra four years that we kept it. And they actually just sold that property Last year, wow! They I kept, think it was they they kept it for a period of time, and so maybe fifteen years. About that, yeah. yeah. And it's a, a mix of primarily them managing it, me trying to fill the rooms. Like I would be the kind of the online person who I would see. Okay, you're post. the contact. I'd yeah, exactly. I'd be the marketing person. I would find people, figure out where to post it on on Facebook sure. or on the McMaster off campus site, and you know get the rooms filled. They would do a lot of the in person stuff because I was working full time in Toronto. Like they would you know kind of maybe do casual gardening or, or sure. casual cleaning up. And it's kind of a nice semi-retirement project for them to do. So, so they had money to put down as a down payment, payment on this? It wouldn't be that yep. much, of course. They uh, they had... Um, so they would have had an inheritance from like a property that, that they sold years ago like from Jamaica, okay, I think. Okay. And it might have been like $15,000. Okay. Yeah. So back then, that got you fairly close yeah. to a down, enough for a down payment. And right around that time, I mean, you're, there's still, we were approaching the sort of 0% down 40-year mortgage this is period. early 2000s probably, it is. right? It's early, it's early 2000s, like yeah. Like 2000 or- 2002. 2002. Yeah. And yeah, so people are coming up with these concepts of yeah. zero down 30 year- You could get, at a, at shortly after that, you could- you could buy a home with literally zero money down. You could finance the entire thing, and you could amortize it over 40 years. 40. So we, we got all of it in Canada. In Canada. We got to 40. We That's, got to 40. That is crazy. So financial crisis happens, of course, because yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah. Not, it, not only because of that, but it was one of the main reasons. Things things got, in all fairness, I think, got out of hand. Definitely south of the border. Yeah, more so. Yeah. Yeah, here is, I mean, as crazy as things 
were in the States, I think there's a few really key points for Canada. Number one, mortgages in, in, in Canada are generally recourse, which means, so what I think the biggest problem in the States is that people, you know, if they were underwater on the mortgages, they just hand it back the keys to the bank. Yeah. So you can you can do that. The only recourse the, the the lender had in the states at that time was you know okay if you're if you're underwater if we want to recapture the property they only have the property as an asset whereas in Canada they would go after you for the difference if they I were to see. capture it sell it and there was a gap. Okay, so we have laws that, that enable the rules, that. Yeah, the rules are more prudent. For sure, in Canada, for a num- on on a number of fronts, um, you can't deduct mortgage interest in Canada. Yeah, yeah, which I think is a big one. I think I've heard a lot from from my U.S. Yeah, colleagues at the, the time. IRS, yeah, they, yeah, exactly. yeah. Well, well, they would they would just buy gigantic houses for the tax write offs. Deduct the interest. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Just for so, that reason. Um, so there's a number of reasons where you know Canada weathered that storm. I think a lot better. Anyways, I mean back to yeah. So uh, so okay. So a couple of things. How did you pay for your tuition? Well, uh, are you student, working in Primerica? I, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not at the time. I do have. Uh, I did have a few jobs at school. I had a job as a student parking officer. Okay. Yeah. Got paid fairly well for that. Sure. I was not very well liked. No. But, yeah. No. No one wants. You're the one that writes yeah, the tickets. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was me. <laughs> That was me. Okay. Um, so I did that for, I think, a couple of semesters. I worked as a, an admin assistant in, in, the, uh, in one of the um, executive offices there. Okay. Um, and I also had a job as a TA. Wow. So how do you get a job as a TA? I mean, I should somehow do fairly well in a couple of exams, I okay. think. Uh, finance exams. I mean, yeah. Actually, and, and um, it, was a, it was a course that a lot of people really liked and did well. They needed TA that uh, that summer. Um, and a lot of people go, the other thing too is a lot of people go away for the yeah. summer because I was basically at that home. I was like, well, I'm going to stay in home. Yeah. I'm going to stay here and hang out in Hamilton and enjoy the summers in Hamilton and Hess Village in the summer, which is yeah. fantastic. It's, yeah. uh, and it's it's more. It's a little more calm right now. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's not so insane yeah. as it is. It's not frantic during the school year. Yeah. Where, where was home? Where were your parents? They're in Guelph. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's you, where. Yeah. So not far. This is. No. Do we have a, a highway. Highway six. Highway six. Yeah. They're basically almost like Hamilton goes all the way up to Guelph. Um, and that's where the city limits are. I know this because I drive Uber, yeah, yeah. and I have this big area that it basically goes all the way to Guelph yeah. that I can drive in. Okay, so they're they're not far, which uh-huh. which probably made them feel better about buying this house. So they could at least come and check it out if they wanted. Yeah, you're yeah. managing it. You guys are paying mortgage plus though. Like you're you're getting some income off of this. We're we're yeah. At that point, it, it is right? it is doing very well um, to the point where. You know, once we finished school, we thought it, it might be a strategy to buy a second or third, or, or we don't know, which yeah. we actually did for a period of time. Okay, and it got too much, too much, and then we and then we backed away from doing that. Okay, but I I, I stuck around. It enabled me to get that job to um, being a teaching assistant. Yeah, um, even with those three, jo- yeah, yeah, even with those three jobs, I finished with twenty five thousand in student debt. Okay, so you had was it OSAP? Was it OSAP? Is education line of credit from okay. one of the banks? One of the banks, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because maybe you wouldn't have qualified for OSAP. Definitely would not have qualified. Were, yeah. Well, you know, they were making decent money yeah. doing, you know, both employed. One, at that time, only only one. Oh, um, yeah, of course, your mom. Yeah, at but that time. then she was doing part-time for America. Yeah, I think it's, a, a, yeah, and, and, and she wouldn't have been making a ton of money no, from, right. from that. But, you know, I, at that point, it became sort of, you know, aware and sensitive to, you know, I, I think it's a challenge for kind of the middle 
kind of, I don't know if you want to broadly call it, sort of middle-income folks. Sure. And, and at least then in Ontario, I'm not sure if it, how it is now. I can't imagine it better, much better with, with you know, who um, and government. But, like, <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're fairly, well, fairly well off, you can pay for school. Somebody can pay for school. You can pay for room and board. You can pay for it all. You're fine. If you have a, have a what's qualified, as I guess, as a low income, you know, you can qualify for OSAP and maybe grants or bursaries. And then kind of in the middle, it's it's a bit of a challenge. I mean, yeah. you're, you're, there was the, I, I was very aware at that time that my parents were, you know, they were utilizing their financial resources and probably sacrificing a bit of their retirement stability. Yeah. That plays into a little bit of kind of my focus on retirement now um, okay. from a, from a practice standpoint, but yeah. I was kind of aware that, you know, parents at that time and probably now face this challenge, post-secondary education or your retirement. They're giving up. They they might be able to retire, but they yeah. The states it's happening all the time in the states because uh, it's so expensive. Yeah, and they're basically foregoing their retirement. I don't know how it works in the states in terms of how people how they, manage to make student debt. Uh, that's what it is. It it's, is. It, you, you think uh, there's no way? Like that's why they have a trillion dollars in student yeah. debt. I feel like I've been talking about this so much in episodes lately, and I was like just not aware of the epidemic in the states, and it just comes up all the time now because. It's more clear to me now how crippling it can be. We got lucky. Uh, we are lucky to be in a place where tuition, what, what was it? Five, five grand? grand. Five yeah. grand, yeah. right? So, yeah. you know, you did four years. So 25 grand. Uh, that, so you paid for some. Your living expenses maybe would have been like your total cost would have been 10 grand a year maybe? Yeah. Yeah, would you yeah, say? About that. Yeah. So you were able to maybe make 15 and, and have 25 left yeah. over? Is that, is that yeah, the, the basic like, math on that one? Yeah. I mean, you were paying basically somewhere between 11 and all in, 11 and 13,000 per year, you know, times four. It's a little over 50K. Yeah. And, you know, you're able to chip away at that through OSAP and whatever minimal scholarships maybe you can get a few hundred bucks here or there and coming out with 25 grand i, I used to have like my 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 colleagues at at sun life some of them were in the states like well how much is school in university or university in canada yeah isn't it free and i'm like no <laughs> like, yeah it's we're not it's, ireland it's, yeah it's like it's like five thousand bucks and they're like oh it's free <laughs> <laughs> so you know coming basically aw- yeah coming away with 25 grand in student debt is it's a lot like it's not nothing but it's absolutely not the- it's very low for americans oh, they, i think yeah. their average is 40 uh, or not average maybe minimum if they have debt is yeah. around in the 40s and then of course it can be out at the oh hundreds. yeah yeah um, i think that's the i think lawyers. that number gets yeah the average the average skews uh the fact that there are people on on the outer limits who would have that's literally right. hundreds of thousands of dollars <laughs> Um, and their and their student loan payments are, are and it would take uh, decades decades to pay it back. Like even if you have a good job, yeah. So you're okay. So you're coming out of school with twenty five grand in debt. You have this income property. You didn't even have to pay rent. That's I mean, yeah. So what were you talking about? Six hundred a person, four hundred, six hundred, five hundred for for rent? Uh, about four hundred a person. Yeah, ish. Yeah, yeah to get yeah. to yeah. Like My 20. room was tiny. It was the baby. It was literally the baby's room in the house. <laughs> it was like nine by eight, and I and I was like, I, it's it's there's an opportunity cost for me, you know, to yep. to be in a bigger room. I'm gonna take this one. This makes sense. So, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, at school, if you're paying four hundred in rent. That's actually, you know, so that's about five grand a year. It's five grand a year, yeah. And so you technically save 20 grand. Yep. Oh, no, you the first year you paid, right? Yep. So 15, let's say 15 grand. 
And so you you could have had more debt for sure, but your parents kind of took that for on. Sure. They did the down payment and all that, yeah. right? And so now, are you? Did you stay here in Hamilton? I stayed for a few months. I got a job at a company called Smurfit MBI. They make uh, uh, corrugated boxes. Okay, and we make a lot of things here in Hamilton. It yeah, seems. and uh, <laughs> and that was the only job I could get. I was like, I need to find something. I was applying for general labor jobs on like East Barton Street. Like, I, I needed to get a job. Really? Just, that, oh yeah. Even so, you have a business degree now. I have a business degree, and it just seemed like everybody else managed to kind of scoop up a position. Um, mm. So I grabbed this customer service gig. A few months after that, I applied to a job at Allstate in Markham. And that was when I moved out because I got that job and I worked in their financial planning group. At that time, I started working on my CFA, my Chartered Financial Analyst designation. And while I was studying, ran into a guy who I used to go to school with, worked at a company called DBRS, one of the three slash four main credit rating agencies for uh, for companies out there. Gotcha. So. Uh, they're in the business of basically providing a, a credit report for companies that issue debt. Um, mm. So I ran into him at the library. He said, we've got a job for you. Great. Started in 2007, early-ish, like months before the financial crisis. Yes. Yep. So did you get to keep that job? I was actually, uh, and I, I hate saying it this way, I was kind of a... It, it benefited me a little bit in a way. I was kind of newer ish and obviously not the pies that's right paid of the of the folk there. So oh, yeah, no, no they gotta fire other people who are worth more. We showed up at work one day and a one third of our office was gone. Wow. I, really? I was, it was really freaking I won't forget that day. Um and it just as it turned out, you know, a lot of the work that had to get kind of get done around there, you know, was you know, it was the new new folks kind of doing it. They're like, well, here you go. You're writing this now. You're writing an, a, a credit report on Chevron, which is okay. a little like my first, I think, credit that I wrote. And and I mean, it's just okay when you just jump in and and you know get her done. And it Can was you an amazing. Explain this because uh, I I think people might uh, be aware of credit reporting for individuals, but yeah. maybe not so much for business. So how are you writing this credit report, and then what is it used for? So I've got there's an existing generally these reports get refreshed quarterly or annually, okay. um, in, in a lot of cases. So there's something there is do a document out there. I'm not creating it from scratch. Yeah, but I am having to go back through and go through all of the quarterly earnings releases or annual releases, press releases, interviews that people do on TV, reading through their annual reports, uh, reading through what other analysts have to say about you know the company. And then we're also interviewing the management teams to understand what they're doing, how they're spending their money. Do they expect to use you know debt to finance their, their projects? No, it's really detailed. It's extraordinarily detailed. Yeah. You You end up understanding companies on a level where you're basically just be able to chat back and forth with company executives about all of the nitty gritty things that they're doing. So I did that for three years there and I covered the oil and gas sector. So there's companies that explore for and extract oil and gas yeah. um, in Canada and throughout the world. We covered pipelines, which became huge in the news now. It's incredible to see that. Yeah, yeah, really. And regulated utilities, Enbridge Gas and Union Gas, and those are big utilities in, in Ontario that, do, that uh, distribute natural gas for home heating. And infrastructure projects like the Toronto Airport is financed heavily by, by publicly issued bonds, 407. So you're giving them all a rating? Then? I'm giving them all a credit rating. What's the worst rating you ever gave somebody? You remember? Uh, I think we might have uh, these are all very well rated companies yeah, they're I all what so, are called right? investment grade companies sure. and my sector in particular that I covered utilities pipelines they, they tend to be fairly well rated by comparison to some of the other ones the lowest okay. would have been like a triple B low company 
um, yeah. which is still investment grade, like borderline. And what what is, like they're just not managing their company very well. Just the nature that... of the business with unregulated power generation companies, they're producing power, but your um your your revenues are subject both to the price somebody else is paying for There's power, a risk out there, and then also okay. the quantity of power that's being produced. So, for instance, the the power gen the trans I can tell you it's Transalta, um, which is a power generator in Alberta, and you know they have both the the issue of being unregulated, being exposed to the oil and gas sector, which is a very volatile industry if yeah. prices go down then yeah. you know there's less quantity of energy being used and people aren't paying as much for for energy so that would have been kind of like the lowest rated so you're learning a lot about businesses i mean this has obviously a connection to investing before we get there how are your personal finances at this time you have 25 grand in debt you're yeah getting these jobs so i i finished school with 25 k in debt i got just a basic junior one bedroom in Toronto uh, for eight fifty, I was making forty five thousand at the time. I still okay. kind of don't spend a whole lot. Yeah, went from forty five to like fifty three to fifty. So I, I got out of like my student debt part like relatively quick. You're like living was, like a student, you're not inflating your life. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't change at all. Okay. Like there was no. And then when I paid that off, then I changed. And <laughs> then I was like, okay, like we're I'm gonna free. G- yeah. And then we can go out in Kensington Market, and this rounds on me, and this rounds on me. Like, but that's uh, that's kind of true. You do have the freedom. Yeah. Because it's your money. You can choose to spend it or save it. Yeah. My only liability was my, my all-inclusive rent at 850 Yes. So as long as you have your rent, that can work for a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> we might be jumping ahead, but when did you sort of figure out maybe I should be saving some of this or were you saving? I was saving uh, not as fast as I could have been. Yeah. So I was, you know, was in, enjoying myself there. Like I'm, you know, I'm from Guelph. Now I'm living in Toronto. Like this is cool. <laughs> like I'm, yes, I'm going to say yes to everything. So maybe, you know, a couple of years after that when, you know, kind of 26-ish, I'm like, well, start to kind of think about maybe saving and, and, you know, how that'll go. And, you know, I was fortunate at the time. Like I, I was, you know, I, I at that point had a, had really good experience. I had my um, CFI des- designation done. Okay, you got that. Um, effectively, I'd, I'd worked at a credit rating agency through the financial, the, the credit crisis, right? Like yeah. it's, it's called that. So it was a very unique and very sought after skill set. So Interesting. I, I went from DBRS where I was writing rating reports to working at Sun Life for their investment management group effectively i was the recipient of those reports i would read those yeah. same reports Make and then decisions and I, I would take that information along with what's available in the marketplace and then we'd, we would put together um trade ideas basically we should have x millions of, of this company we should stay away from this company this company's yeah. undervalued this company's overvalued don't go there this company is is um you know there's there's this geopolitical or, or uh, whatever risk with this company that's not being factored in. So that, that kind of all plays into... Yeah, and the, the whole purpose of this, this this is an analyst position, I guess? Is that so, what Yeah, it's an analyst role, um, and, but you're what's called on the buy side. So you are, you as, as I kind of described to my to, to Lisa, like you are, uh, you're in the pot, like you're, you're, pot, you're with the fund runners, the pot runners, yeah. who actually, so you're actually managing money. And Sun Life, you know, they, they manage money to, to hedge their liabilities. And uh, they manage pension money as well too. So they're fairly large portfolios, and, and they're fairly sizable positions that they're that they're they're buying. Very for, very for large. Yeah. The, the the whole purpose, uh, your purpose, is to mitigate risk, right? Right. So that they're taking a, a reasonable amount of risk. Right. <laughs> yep. And they get all of the information that they could possibly have, which is what we want everybody to have right. when they're investing too. But it's it's hard for everybody to have all of the information and not spend their whole day 
doing what you did, looking at, at, <laughs> at things, financial things, when they have other jobs and they do other things, right? So like yeah. we, we can't be as good at investments, but you were doing this for your job. So then yeah. th that, did that apply to your personal? Did that change your perspective? Like I, I should be saving, but I should also be putting it in all these things that I know. So, and, and, you know, I mentioned we did own two or three rentals in Hamilton at, at a certain point in time. And, and how it changed my perspective is I was very well adept at, you know, what's involved in, in being highly leveraged. So I was not uncomfortable with saying, well, you know, you can, you can leverage your money to buy an asset so long as it has stable and predictable cash flow that goes along with it. What, what has that? <laughs> I mean, real estate technically. Real estate is a fairly, well, fairly. Real, estate, real estate in a certain area around a university, okay. I would argue is like, you know, well up there. The, yeah. the, because nothing is, uh, of course, extremely, nothing is always stable and predictable. For sure, like, yeah. Except for a GIC or, or yeah. you know, maybe a really good bond. Yeah, Rel <laughs> relatively, relatively stable. Not yeah. by no means guaranteed. Yeah, but given the area, given the you know kind of streets you're at, you were like, okay, well, you, yes, you do have a fairly large mortgage, but you also do have fairly healthy cash flows. That even if you do have a few vacancies, it's not going to blow you out of the water. And you're doing this analysis, of course, right? Uh, uh, so how many did you end up buying? Like this Three, is you, uh, you or you and your parents? This or? is a combination of both at different okay, times. Okay, so now you, yeah. now you're putting in capital that yep. you've saved up. And, mm, no, not really, because zero percent down. Oh, you don't even have to do this. You didn't really. You didn't really have to at a certain time. Yeah, of course. So if you know the real estate market, if you already have a property, this is what happened in the states too, right? Yeah. It's like people already uh, have one. Might as well get the one next door, and then that one, and then the other one. Yeah, it is. It is a cash. It's a cash flow game. Um, wow. The, you're, you're just looking at your mortgage payments, your interest costs, your utilities, your taxes, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, making sure they're the, covered. Yeah. The 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 only reason it works, and the reason why you can you it, it's you can make the argument that you could do it one or two or, or a few different times is because you have. The probability that you're you're right next door to a university, you're not kind of in a yeah. random area. You're always going to have a flow of people, and really, the biggest factor in that was actually incoming students relative to just on-campus student housing. Mm. So, like, it's not even just a general sort of equation about where your you know where your revenues are coming from. You're looking at the situation where at the time, post double cohort, right? You have kind of a flood, and and you still have this emphasis on post-secondary. Um, education. You have a lot of students. Can you out explain there. that double cohort? The double cohort for, you know what it is, Ontario. right? I, I, okay, yeah, I, just for everybody. So, in Ontario, in two thousand and four, they <laughs> OAC. So we did OAC, Ontario Academic Credits, which is phenomenal. Which is like, grade thirteen. Grade thirteen. They're the ones that you need to get into university, and and yeah. they switched over. And everybody got a little bit younger. They switched over, so every <laughs> yeah, so everybody, so so the year that there's one year that graduated that had a one year that graduated at grade thirteen and one graduated at grade twelve at the same, at the time. same time. So you literally have double the people because they got rid of grade thirteen and they just had university level courses in grade twelve. Is that I how, guess so. how kind of yeah. It went? Yeah, the, which others can explain because we weren't in it. Yeah, but so that the same, so you had like double the amount of people coming through. That, and then they, of course, they continued. They yeah. lived. They they didn't go away. Yeah. It wasn't just one year. Yeah, it just said this flood of people looking for yeah. student houses. And, and so the and the, the university was or the university here didn't keep up. I know they were building them at Western. That's where I went. Well, uh, they, they were they, building more uh, residences. Yeah, I mean they they tried to, but yeah. I mean trying to 
you know, do these large, fairly large infrastructure projects like like building an apartment residence yeah. or building a, you know, it's it's still takes some time. And so. not everyone wants to live in residence. They, yeah. they, so you have off, off campus or on, yeah. uh, is, is off campus, slightly off campus. Off campus. Yeah. It's like near yeah. campus. It's a uh, very, ten, very close. 10 minute walk yeah, from campus. Very yeah. close to campus. And so how many did you get? How many properties? For two years, we had three properties. Okay. And then we we're like, this is way too much. <laughs> That's like 15 people. Probably, yeah. It was eighteen different sets of headaches. Eighteen it's people. Eighteen. It's <laughs> it's three different you know physical assets to to try and take care of take care of. And at that time, my career was you know starting to get more involved, and it just we just didn't. It was just too much. So, and it's uh, the thing about that is that it can become a full. Uh, it can feel like a full time job, but it's not income now. It's income like it's some. It might be income now, depending on your mortgage. But yeah. it's probably a little income now, but like much income later. And so it's like you, you can't really justify spending all of your time on it because it's not like it's a full-time job and you, oh, I'll just take the money from the properties, right? Yeah. Well, you know, truly, we, we intended them to be long-term holdings. It was never like yeah. we think that the market's going to skyrocket no, or we're no. going to make a whole... It was like... This is passive income. It's, it's, it's passive. Or it will be. Well, it's, yeah, it's quasi-passive income. Yeah. You still have to do a little bit of work to get it filled, sure, but not sure. a lot. Yeah, yeah quasi. But eventually, right. somebody's going to kind of... People are paying down your mortgage, and that's all it is. It's yeah. like the model, the model was literally... Raise house prices by inflation. The mortgage goes down after 30, 35 years. Great. You have an asset which is fully paid off for which for which you didn't put a whole lot down. Well, yeah. And you, you had that benefit. So what, when did you actually buy them? 2000 and I guess like six would have been the second and 2008 would have been the third. And the third was sold fairly quick. The third, we were just like, this is nuts nuts yeah and they then they changed the mortgage rules after that and the mortgage rules started to get tighter and tighter like after the sequentially yeah. yes yeah because even though we didn't get as hit uh, uh like the states did you know and uh, i mean so many banks closed but uh, yeah. still everyone re- realized how you know stupid this was yeah so you know even like for it seems like you would, would have passed the test, uh, you know, uh, better than others, and maybe you could have dealt with an increase in interest rates better than than others, yeah. since you already yeah. had property and you know you have income. And it, but some people were just buying things with no ability, yeah, to the, pay any more than that, like they're, they're no wiggle room. So no income, no jobs or assets, ninja loans, which was like one of the kind of hot phrases from the financial crisis. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of insane things that happened in the States. The the mortgage rate resets where you're, you're interest only for like six months and then you have to, or and then, you know, they'd be like, oh, you can just refinance after six months. And then you couldn't refinance and then you're paying a full rate, which was oh, three yeah. times the amount. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff that, uh, as Canadians, we should legitimately be thankful that have been in place doesn't matter which and i don't even know which government i don't care which government put it in but we just have a far more conservative yeah far more prudent financial system um and it's served us well even though at times i think it's gone you know kind of on the edge here or there yeah but it, it's we definitely lucked out you know in the whole north america uh, financial crisis uh, scheme of things uh we did all right so okay so we're at you are you're, you say you have your student loans are paid off. They're gone. Um, they go pretty quickly. You're at Sun Life. So by the time I got to Sun Life, I was in a kind of a far better financial position. Just subsequently continued to do well career wise. I wasn't that. I think by a few years in there, I was a little bit like, 
well, I'm not sure if I want to do this for my entire career. And truly what I really wanted to do was more on the advisory side. So yeah. um, we kind of talked like, like last time we talked, we were talking about, well, you know, are there other experiences a person as a, as a person of color that, you know, you, you or perspective that you've got. And, and, I, and I went away thinking about it and I was like, you know, I, I stayed completely away from doing like client facing work on advisor side because I was like, well, how am I going to make this successful? Like it's an entirely it's really? a sales. Oh yeah. It's a, first of all, it's entirely a sales role. Yeah. You go in there and you, I think at the time the, the advisor, the bank advisor jobs were like 27 K your first year. And then they would get rid of it entirely. The second year you were completely on commission. Oh wow. So you had to go out there and you had to sell. You had to dial. You had to find Pressure. and build your book. And I was like, "What? Where? Yeah. Like my dad's friends who come over and play dominoes on Sunday. Like, so you didn't feel, you feel like you had a network or the or the ability to do it. I didn't feel like I had the ability to to firstly be successful based on the network that I had. Secondly, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be successful. People, when it comes to money, want to be working with someone that they're comfortable with. Sure. And I was like, uh, especially when you're trying to get bigger books of business, I was just like, I don't, I'm not sure how this works out. So that's just like a, you know, not a direct experience. It's never so really and on the same lines as your dad saying, hey, maybe we should buy a house because you may not be able to get a rental. Yeah, yeah. You're thinking, well, I should play it safe and not go out there because I might run into things that, you know, we're going to work against me. Perhaps. You weren't yeah. sure. Perhaps. Yeah. I mean, uh, jumping ahead <laughs> yeah. or in hindsight, uh, but like how valid was that at the time? Um, I don't think people would disagree with, with that rationale, Okay, but it strikes me as kind of illuminating. You just don't see that many people of color doing like front end advice jobs. It's really? a little bit better now. Yeah. It's a little bit better now. And overall, like, you know, I, I, I kind of observe and have been a part of, you know, kind of small organizations that, that focus on, you know, people of color working in the financial services industry. The Canadian Association of Urban Financial Professionals is a fantastic group that mm-hmm. I, that I'd been a part of for, for quite some time. Um, you know, we looked at, you know, what are the reasons? And yeah, I think the industry, the well, I think the industry wants more diversity, not just people of color, like LGBTQ yeah, folks, like everyone, just not your, like, it, it, it's an industry that realized like, okay, not everyone who's doing a frontline advisor job can be your silvered hair, you yeah. know, heterosexual white male Seriously. able-bodied white male like the same thing over and, like they realized they couldn't do that they're like okay we want to have a more diverse for w- workforce and well we're not sure exactly how to do that and i think also on this sort of you know interest side the supply side i think a lot of young people who are not in that demographic were kind of like well i don't see myself represented in these roles yeah. like that's not a career for me so you don't get a whole lot of people like i like at a grad class of 300 people at mac yeah two three black people yeah there's one one black person in my wife's medical school yeah uh, class like yeah. uh there's 500 people yeah right so and it, like <laughs> that, that that seems it it seems strange to me i mean we're multicultural toronto anyway yeah. Yeah, but the but the financial services to get back to that financial services and front facing. This is only ten, maybe ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. And is it still like this? It's gone. It's gone better, no doubt. Like yeah. It's, it's it's gone better, and there are people who are around. But it's it's a it's a slow process. It's a gener it's a generational change. I I, I think 
you know, folks in the financial services industry, I think more senior level people would like to see that change happen faster. I'm sure they have it on a scorecard somewhere, like they're <laughs> tracking diversity and they'd love sure. to see that tick higher every every year sequentially. But, you know, I think it's just it just takes time where, where people who, you know, they, they can see themselves in that role as, as a person of color or, or just any anyone who, who you, know, yeah. you know, it doesn't sound like a career that's available. Um, we, I, I went to uh, the same organization, um, the Association of Urban Financial Professionals. They had an executive from TD who told the story about being at Regent Park. Yeah. He's talking to a group of students just kind of saying, well, you know, you know, have you ever considered financial services as a career? And he was really moved by the fact that a lot of them were like, well, those are off limits. To like, they, they kind of said that. They and said that? Yeah. They like kind of, and these are young kids. They're young these... kids. And they're like, that's oh. not for us. Meanwhile, he's like, you know, I'm literally turning around looking at the skyline like the the you know the toronto high-rise yeah. corporate buildings and he was very moved by the fact that he's like this is the first time i've really kind of realized that there's this huge barrier he's two blocks away he's like let's talking like queen and sherborne right like it's not you yeah know, it's, it's not the other side of the planet no. like it's it's a block away they're yeah they're right there yeah region park is right beside the like some of the biggest buildings in yeah. the whole it's, country it's not it's financial yeah. buildings totally and they look at those and say, that's not for me. Absolutely. And they don't see themselves in that. And where, like, so do we have to change those perceptions first and then go and, and break through? Well, how do we change? Like, how you know, do we change I, this? I think all there's there's an all of the above answer. And I think what that is, is, is partly industry kind of saying, well, and they do a better job of this now. It's not the nep- nepotism like shit show that like is the current Doug Ford government where you can like play lacrosse and get an agent's general job <laughs> you know it's not that it's a lot more uh, like meritocratic now i think yeah and you know so that's okay an okay improvement i think there's an improvement in just the regular sort of media landscape people are seeing different people show up i, I certainly remember the portfolio managers on uh on bnn when i was growing up Mm. Um, some of them I eventually got to meet. I was like, well, yeah, I remember these guys. I was like, oh, like that's, that's neat. Like maybe I can kind of do this. Um, and then also, you know, we're in an era obviously of like social media where you have different voices out there. Um, voices that don't have the traditional sound of, um, you know, your kind of financial services representative or, or person, whatever. Yeah. Hopefully that inspires people to kind of look at financial services in a different way. I think it is, but I think you know the the product of that. You know it takes time for that to, you know, to really show up. That's it. The, the, it all comes back to the the runway that right that where it's like okay, let's you know let's get more people of color in financial services. Okay, well that starts with these kids in Regent Park, right? Yeah. yeah. Or, or even before that, right? It starts like the 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 runway that uh, white people have uh, or like white males in this case is so long. And it's just no question. I I would never have questioned whether I could do something. Right. And right. it's something that you know. It's just I don't even know what that's like. Yeah. Like that's how that's how different right this is. It's like it sounds like we, you know we had very you know similar uh, like middle class. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like yeah, you know, my dad was a dentist, so it, let's just say upper middle class. But yeah. still, like it's yeah. like I I had student loans. I didn't qualify for OSAP. Right. Same thing. Right. Yeah. I had 25 grand. I had a gambling addiction. Well, yeah. that's 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 neither here nor there. I, but I had <laughs> to go to a bank, too. And I had student loans. But I never had any of this stuff. It's crazy to me that you are already working in financial services and you're thinking 
this is why I can't do front face. Not because I don't want to, not because I don't think I'm going to be good at it. Yeah, not definitively, but I was highly suspicious. Right? I didn't see yeah. anybody else doing that and successfully. So what did you do? What? I say mostly back office. just did researchy type work. Which the whole was, time at Sunlight? Uh, my entire financial career, I would say. It was not client-facing. I got, I got to a point where I, I did feel like I could do client-facing work yeah. and be successful at it. I just didn't want to do it for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was like, well, okay, now I'm trying to figure out, well, how do I navigate this landscape of, of going out on my own? Because at the time, we would have had the same types of friends just being like, you know, hey, like, can you explain to me what an ETF is? Yeah. Do you have a... Do you have a line of credit? Right. Like, what's the interest rate? And you everyone know, has these questions. They have all these questions, and and then and they just bury them in like a like a corner of shame. I, I guess right. everybody thinks that everybody else knows stuff, and it's just not true. Everybody has all of these questions, and yeah. So I, I'd be hanging out with friends, and they'd be like, "Hey, what's a?" I read about or I heard about all these things. I'm like, what? Really? Like you're. You know, like there was just a there was a need for that. Like I didn't realize, you know, what a huge need there was at the time. So I just kind of started to give casual advice to friends yeah. about, you know, like not hey, here's which stock to buy, no, but like but yeah, here's the basics. You can open a, a brokerage account on your own if you'd like to. Um, you know, if you have x amount of dollars then that is a good enough amount to to look for a house yeah um <laughs> but it's it still carries on today and like i had a there was a there's a client of of mine who between the two of them had saved a hundred and fifty thousand dollars okay. for a down payment in toronto there. oh my god so they had done all the right things yeah i actually think it was more i i i can't remember like i remember i just remember just being blown away and then just being like, we were so embarrassed to ever talk to anyone because we thought we were doing everything wrong. Everybody else in the area is is clearly doing things right. They're buying houses. We uh, we can't afford one. And I was like, holy shit. Like, you guys have done everything, everything right. right. And the fact that you're getting outbid on a, like a, an eight or $900,000 place. Like, that's that's Toronto. And yeah, But nobody took yeah. the time to kind of say, like, that's not normal. Yeah, like, yeah that's... <laughs> It it felt it it definitely didn't feel normal when there was seven people showing up and at a at a house when we were bidding yeah and we thought we we got it and then somebody just is like I don't know they bring flowers or or donuts or something I don't know what it yeah is. it's well you know I, I think it, I think this happens nowadays and someone explained it to me this way is that people buy payments and what they meant is that it's not that you buy a house at a certain price yeah you buy a payment stream so in other words nobody really cares nowadays whether it's 800 or eight hundred fifty thousand. yeah you probably have a real estate agent who's going hey that 50 grand is only like 180 dollars yeah. extra per month go for it just go for it and that's where you get this this total shit show of stuff going for like 200 over ask people don't care anymore it's not about the price it's about what the cash flow is versus how much you're currently making and, and expect to make I'm I'm working on some, uh, something in my head. I've been working on it for the past couple of years on how to talk to real estate agents about <laughs> like not giving terrible advice. Let's max out the line of credit. Yeah. To get more money, borrow from all these people. You need to then you'll get it and then you'll have this like golden asset that can never fail. So all of the things you did will be totally worth it. Yeah. This is the speech that they give. They're not incentivized to 
that uh, and I just, think it comes down to that. That and I think we need to start having this conversation more. You know, now now everybody pretty much knows the banks are not like your friends, right? Like they're just selling products yeah. and <laughs> you put your money there, they lend it out, they sell you investments, they don't care. Yeah. Right? They're just trying to make money like everyone else. I think we need to have the conversation about real estate agents too, in that hey, they don't like they might think seeing that they have your best interests in mind, but like you need to be on top of stuff too because they're also trying to make commission. It's their job to sell houses. Yeah. So like we need to to wrap our heads around this because, like, I think people think, oh, yeah, you know, the real estate agent knows what I want. And no, you should know what you want. Yeah. And unfortunately, I would love for people that are selling product at banks or real estate agents to have your best interests, you know, at the, at the forefront. I don't think that's going to change. I'm yeah. sort of bored with the idea that it would ever change. And mm. I think people just need to get their shit together. Like, if you're buying a house and know your limits... Don't deviate from that. Obviously, yeah. somebody's going to s- tell you to to bid more or stretch your limits. Stop listening to everybody else. Yeah. So, so yeah. you're you're not about like let's change the the system and let's you know the banks need to be better or the real estate agents need to be better. We need to be better. That's what you're saying. Yeah. The system's rigged for the banks to make the most money possible. Like that shouldn't be. I, I nobody should be offended by that like phrase. People who work at banks, it's not attack on you specifically. It's that's how it's rigged. They have a fiduciary duty to their shareholders to maximize shareholder value. Yeah. Period. That's that's mm. that's real. So know how the system works. Like, you know, know how people are incentivized, why someone, you know, behind the desk as nice as they might be and as as much as they want to do the right thing for you. They might be in a system where they are not necessarily going to give you the the most optimal advice. That's how it is. And again, sort of bored with you know complaining about it. Yeah. I see it in the Twitterverse like and I'm like, yeah, 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 like it's they they don't have your best interests, <laughs> but like do something about it. Yeah. Um I'm sort of bored. Oh, good. I can go on I can go on a whiny rant and then hopefully I'll stop after like 3 minutes. But I'm kind of bored of the like you know, Toronto home prices are what they are. Like, yes, they are expensive. But have you heard of Hamilton? Yeah. Because everything is literally like 40% cheaper. Or Guelph. Guelph is fantastic. I went to, I, I visited a client uh, at Scarborough Guildwood. I don't know if you've been there. It's phenomenal. Like, it, there are all these communities. Um, mm. Like, when we were, when, when I, my wife and I were like, you know, kind of screw the corporate world mentality, we looked at Prince Edward County. Yeah. There's there's places and and if you don't need to necessarily physically be at, at your place of employment five days a week, maybe you can telecommute. Maybe it can be two or three. Um, maybe you can be completely remote, which is what the fire crowd. I think that's a big part of what they do. Then why not check out somewhere else that has housing costs and cost of living, you know, that are what like sixty seventy percent cheaper than Toronto. You can live mortgage free. You can do what you want, and it's not like you you do nothing and just sit on your butt, but like you can. You can make a career out of like like the job that I have. I don't need to live where I live, you know, to to make the job kind of work and to and to make it make it work. I have clients throughout the country. Yeah, so let's let's talk about what you're doing now. So sure. you left uh, Sun Life to to do this. So I left a couple of years ago, and I started my own firm, which is You and Yours Financial. It builds on what my strengths are, which is around the investment universe. It's not so to be clear, it's not selling financial products at all. Okay. I don't sell products. I yeah. legally can't sell products. I'm not yeah. regulated. 
Um, Me yeah, yeah. You know, you know the the regulatory kind of side of things. And um, I provide investment planning services. I, I I do a number of things. First of all, I, I have something that's called a portfolio second opinion. It's a service by which if people have a portfolio they're not sure about what's in their portfolio, how much in fees that they're paying, which by the way, I've had a client literally come to me with a portfolio and not know that they were spending like $23,000 per year. So much on value fees. that you're providing. Yeah. Just in, just in that. And I, I'm sure like probably so many people, yeah. right? Same week, next client, 18,000. Oh. And, <laughs> and I was, and I, and telling them like was kind of nauseating because they're yeah. like, I, I'm like, you're, these were your fees. I'm like, no, no, they're not. Like I've talked to my advisor. I anyways, so yeah, that's so what the portfolio second is. It just kind of like rips open the door yeah. on what the portfolio is. The DIT investing service that I offer is one for people who who hear about ETFs, they hear about index funds, um, they want to DIY invest, do it yourself invest, they want to open their own brokerage account and select passive investments. Yeah. They want to do so, but they might need a little bit of handholding. Sure. So this is not, hey, buy this, buy this, buy this. This is here's how you open up a brokerage account. Here are the discount brokerages that are available to you. Here's how to read you know, a quarterly statement. Yeah. Here's how you make your uh, a trade. You know, there's, there's this box here, which is the quantity, and this is a, what a market order is. It's coaching them through that process. Do it together? Do it together. I've been thinking about that for the last uh, 15 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Do it together. It's an interesting program. A lot of people are, are super interested in it, but a lot of people kind of decide, well, eh, I'm not sure if that's that's for me if they're interested in like the emotional weight of managing their own investments. Yeah, but some people are, and you're right, they just need a helping hand. It's really yeah. hard to jump into it, but you might like really like it. So totally. that's a great option. So totally. DIT and, and, uh, Third one is investment planning. It's a little bit more in depth in terms of you know covering the information from people, but um, you know we get a whole bunch of information. Look at their short and long term goals. Look at the assets that they have in the different accounts: RSP, TFSA, non registered. Look at their employment, how much they spend, how much they save, and then try and project that out over a number of years. Try and answer some questions like: Can you afford to buy a house? Can you consider retiring at at, at age sixty? Are you on track to? Could you retire early? If you have excess money, should you pay down your mortgage or invest? So it gives people like a good gut check on the direction that they're they're headed. And I think a lot of people find a lot of value in that because they, they, yeah. they I think what qualifies as a quote financial plan, um, you know, when you, when you talk to someone at the bank, I mean, again, they're, they're, they're not paid to do that. That's an expense. No. That's the, they're not getting compensated for that. And, you know, they, they get a lot more insight and detail. Um, it forms the basis for um, a conversation and a relationship so that they have someone to ask from a, an independent standpoint. Like, you know, they feel a lot more confident asking me, a question when I don't have to necessarily, you know, push a product or I don't have a quota yeah. to meet or I don't have a sales target or anything. It's like, hey, let's talk about, you know, let's talk about how to um, screw off for a year yeah. and, and go traveling. Like, yeah, I don't do I... want I don't want to just like build my investments for forever and forever. Like, this is what I want to do. And it's like, OK, well, I don't have a I don't have a, you know, a bias towards that person investing because I collect commissions from that or That's collect right. a, you know more of the more assets under management I have. I'm like, great, let's talk about how to get you like away from your job and traveling for a year. Or let's talk about how, you know, you can start drawing on your portfolio now to support your, your, you know, retirement. If, if you, you know, they want to leave their work early. That's not about products. It's about uh, your lifestyle and what you want to do. Yep. And everyone is different. This is, this is really great. So what's the name of the company again? You and yours financial. Okay, and yeah. I, I know we have a million other things that we can talk about too. <laughs> yeah, but definitely. I think that that's, we got to wrap it up for today. I always want people to come and tell their origin story. That's I think that's key. 
And I'm realizing now that uh, so many guests have so much more to say, you know, by the time we get to, you know, like telling their story. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm already planning, you know, follow-up episodes with uh, so many people now because it's like there's so much value that you can add. And uh, now that we know, we got to know you and we know a little bit of what you're doing and then, uh, you know, hopefully we can hear from you more. For sure. I, I'd, love to, I'd love to be back. I, I, again, I love Hamilton. I'm <laughs> hanging out at Collective Arts for, for yeah, for well, thank, thanks for coming to the studio. Yeah. It makes it so much easier for me. It, it, you have a, a, a young baby as well, so we're yeah. kind of in the same boat. Yeah. But I appreciate uh, appreciate that because all of my stuff is here. All of my equipment is here. So, yeah, the website? Youandyoursfinancial.com. Perfect. And, and at Daryl C.A. Brown on Twitter, 2HoursYL. Okay, so D-A-R-R-Y-L, yep. C.A. Brown. Well, thanks for coming, Daryl. This was great. Great great conversation. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we're going to hear more from you in the future. Yeah, I, I appreciate the invite. And that was episode 93 with Daryl Brown. If you like the podcast and want to see me get to episode 100 and beyond, please support the podcast by going to my Patreon site and becoming a patron. It's only a few bucks a week, but if enough people do it, it starts to add up. So head over to patreon.com slash bowhumphreys if you're interested. That's it for this episode. I'll be back next week with creator and co-host of the Stacking Benjamins show and Money in the Morning, Joe Saul Seahigh.